0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gautier. Today we celebrate Trinity Sunday, and you'll notice some important changes starting from today. One we can see immediately is for weeks and weeks we've had the Easter candle, the Paschal candle, has been lit and it's been up here. But we ended the Easter season at Pentecost last Sunday. And that will not be up here again until next Easter. Another change we'll notice is going to start going into a season that will seem to never end of green, endless green. And what's that about? Well, what it's about is this season is, we'll talk about the season of the Holy Spirit, and the green is the Holy Spirit's color. He's the Lord, the giver of life. And you may say, wait a second, I thought red is the Holy Spirit. No, that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like the flame, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are red. But the Holy Spirit's the Lord, the giver of life in the Creed. So green is His color, so it's reminding us the time of the church, you know, the time of the Spirit, you know, dwelling in His people and His church. So we'll see those big changes. So why are we having this change? This Sunday is one of the big hinge Sundays of two hinge Sundays in the whole year. You see, until now, from the very beginning of Advent until now, it's been, we've been reliving the story of Jesus. From the predictions of His coming, His promise of His coming in Advent, to His incarnation in Bethlehem, we have His baptism. Uh, We've gone all the way through Lent, his, his, His passion, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, we've gone through His entire life, and now what do we do with the balance of the year? And we say, okay, wait a second. It's like the day of Pentecost saying, what then shall we do? You know, what, what shall we do? And so, how do we live our lives in the light of what we've just lived through? That's the second half of the church year. So, so we might say, okay, it's, so the first part is through Advent, through Pentecost is the story of Jesus. Then we have this time of the church. What does it mean for us? Now, having said that, when we were going through the story of Jesus, we confronted something we confronted the Trinity. You see, the Trinity is all through the story of Jesus. Start at the very beginning, it's the Father sends His Son. You know, God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Then what happens? Jesus is His ministry, He accomplishes His mission. Why is He on that mission? He tells us again and again in John's Gospel because of His love for the Father. And what happens at the end of the mission? He returns to the Father. So the Father sends the Son, the Son returns to the Father, and then the Father and Son together send the Holy Spirit, you know, which is what happens, you know, on Pentecost. So this is the cycle that we follow. So we can't see Jesus without running into the truth of the Holy Trinity. We can't understand him without understanding He is the second person of the Trinity. So in the Church of the Wisdom, say what better place to start the balance of the year, figuring out, what does this mean to us? How does this affect our lives? And starting with that fact, let's look at the Trinity. So we start the rest of the year by looking at the Trinity, who God is, the very essence of God, who is God? Now, what do the Scriptures teach us about the nature of God? The first thing we know is the Scriptures, you know, the, the revelation to giving to God's people Israel said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. This is the creed of Israel. It's our creed. And so every pious Jew in the morning and the evening has this Shema, Here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You hope if you're a pious Jew on your, at your death that those will be the last words on your lip, hear, O Israel. So God is one, the faith of Israel, our faith. That's all that could be revealed. God had to progressively reveal Himself. It took something more than saying it. To reveal the fullness of who God was, though within that unity required God to appear in person, the self-revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing less could bring us into the actual life of God Himself. And that's where we find out God is not only one, but within that perfect unity there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And despite the fact that they are, uh, the, also we emphasize by distinct, is we might think, well, gee, I'm a, I'm a father, today's Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, dads. And I'm a husband, and I'm an accountant, and all sorts of things. And those are different roles I play, but it's always me. If I started telling you, you know, um, I'd like to give you an answer on that, but I've got to go talk to the accountant. <laughs> you would say, dude, there are medicines for that. However, look what happens with Jesus. He tells us in John's Gospel twice. He says, Look, I'm telling you guys, it's better for you that I leave you because unless I leave you, I can't go to the Father so he can send you the Holy Spirit. See the distinctness there. It's not a matter of I'll just be at. No, no. I need to go return to the Father so we can send you the Holy Spirit. So they're in the unity. They are distinct. They're not just different functions of God, they are distinct within the Trinity. Now, uh, and at the same time, he says, I and the Father are one. Now, this, is this really important, we might ask ourselves. A lot of us, when we first hear about the Trinity, think that's a nice thing for theologians with time on their hands, maybe. But, you know, is that really important to anyone? And it's vitally important. Why? First, the first clue that's important is think of last words. When is trying to give you a last message, it's normally very, very important. I think of my father of beloved memory, is, well, the last time I saw him, he, re- he did this several times. He, he thought it'd be, it might be the last time. He said, remember where all the stuff is. Remember, I, have a, I have a sheet in my desk drawer, the left desk drawer that has all the bank accounts, everything you need, uh, you know, when I go to the Lord. You know, everything you'll need will be there, all the information. You'll know everything you need is there. I don't want you to forget that. Don't look at That's all there. And so we tend to think of the last time you tell somebody, what do you really need to know? So what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I should tell you something about that. We don't baptize in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason for that. The church always understood this formula saying, we want to reaffirm our faith in the faith, the faith of Israel. There is one God. So we say, we baptize you in the name under the authority of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, say, we don't repeat it, we, say that we baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So it must be central to our, our faith. It's, in everyone's baptism, we enter the body of Christ, it's always with those words. So there's a message here, that, you know, the last words of Jesus, the first words we hear. So why would this be important? Well, think something. One, how it can affect our understanding of God. John was if you had to use one thing to describe God, what does the apostle John describe God? He says, God is love. Now God has always been. He alone is eternal. There's no beginning, no end. God is life, is I, the great I am. He always has been, always will be. So for the infinity of time before He created the world, how could God be loved? What would there be to love? What would that mean? i would be sort of meaningless. What would it mean to be, I'm love, but, you know, there is no one else? But the fact is we now know, now that we know more about God, wait, God Himself in His unity is community. There's a community in, of love within the very person of God. And this explains some of the Trinity itself, how we understand with the Creed. We say the Son is begotten of the Father. What does that mean? It means the Father's, the Son is the product of the Father's love. The Father's love is the origin of the Son. The God is the source. The Father is the source. And the mutual love of Father and Son is, is, produces the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the mutual love, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who proceeds from the mutual love of Father and Son. So we see that that community of love, you know, within God. So God is one, but as love, He exists in community, in that oneness. And this is could be expressed in your bulletin. If you turn to page 12, we have a classic icon. I'm going to talk about this circle of love. This is Rublev, uh, the greatest um, iconographer, a saint in the Orthodox Church, the Russian church. And first of all, I would like you to look at the third quotation down here on the page. This is from the experience of the the famous three angelic visitors who visit Abraham in, in the book of Genesis. And look at what it says. The church was very precise. Look at what it says. The Lord, singular, I got the Lord, appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat down at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So it tells us the Lord appeared. How did he appear? As three men. And it goes on. Uh, It says, when he saw them, he ran to the door of the tent to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, singular, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So the church has always seen this as a visible manifestation of the Trinity, sort of a prefiguration in the Old Testament, you know, like the dove that comes and represents the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism, that we see God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you look at this image, one thing that's interesting is we think of the images we see in the west of the Trinity as the father is an old man, and the son is younger, and then the Holy Spirit as a, as a dove. Well, when we say in the creed, we say, Begotten before all ages. There was one heretic, said Arius, who famously said, Wait a second, the father has this, begets the son. Well, you have to have a father before you can have a son, right? So he argued this must mean God must be older. That's not true because God is, time is a relative thing. Time only exists because we don't have an infinity of it. It's completely relative. So in God, there is no time. There's never been a moment where the Father without the Son. You know, there's always been a Father, always a Son, and always the Holy Spirit. So to avoid that error, that's why all the three angels here, the three members of the Trinity, are the same age. Because it's just showing they're They're infinite. There's no difference in timing. There's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, do you notice something about the Holy Spirit? And we know who He is. How do we know? who's wearing green? Okay. And what is he doing? He started, there's a sort of circle, so look, each of the persons are looking at each other, but the Holy Spirit is looking at the others and also looking out. It's saying, this is our point of entry into that circle. It's through this point of entry we're saying, this is how we will come into that life of God. The Holy Spirit sort of breathes us up. That's the word they use in Eastern Church, aspiration. He breathes us up into the very life of God. So so how do we relate to the Trinity? First of all, let's talk about what do we mean by the Father. Very often, we have a false notion of what we mean we call God the Father. Uh, We tend to think of emotion, like on Father's Day, you know, sort of nice, really cares for us. And those things are true. But that's not why He has the title Father. The reason God the Father has the title Father is He's the source of all life. All life comes from Him. That's the reason. Within the Trinity, the Son, you know, you know, The Son is begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son. You know, so that everything has its origin, its source in the Father, and it's true of all life. Uh, you know, all, in the Bible we see here, for example, let's see, uh, the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground. Remember, we're talking about the creation of Adam. And what happened? Everything was ready. We have a body, but there's something missing. What's missing? There's no life in it. What does God have to do? It says there, God breathed into his nostrils, and he became the breath of life, and he became a living being. So, God has to take his own life to give us life. All life actually comes from God. That's why. uh, So that's the idea that all life comes from God. And also, we have, it says, in God, we live and move and have our being, Paul tells us in the Areopagus. We live and move and have our being. So again, God is the source of, uh, of all of our life. And this is important, this is the difference with creation. Think of it this way. Uh, again, thinking of Father's Day, my father was remarkably capable. He could do carpentry, plumbing, electric. It skipped a generation. I mean, absolutely, uh, he, as he pointed out to me. It clearly skipped a generation, but he would do all these projects and things. When he do stuff, uh, you'd see he, he's using his genius and things, but he's taking all this stuff to make things, right? That's what creation is. You take uh, That kind of thing, what we do with, with creation, is when we, when we make stuff, is we take other things and port of, assemble them and, and put them together. But we say having a child is different than making a table, isn't it? Because in a child, the only thing we bring to that is ourselves, right? There's nothing but ourselves that we bring to that process. You know, it's only ourselves. And so the image of God is what's different with being begotten is there's nothing created in the second person of the Trinity. He's God himself, nothing more, nothing less. You know, he's, you know, from God himself, he's God. So that's the idea, the Lord, uh, the, the source. But he's also the end of all things. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, you say, where's, where, where's this whole thing heading, the world we live in? Where's this all going? It tells us when all things are subjected to Him, meaning Christ, and when the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. So, he's saying the whole trajectory of salvation is everything comes back to the God who's the source of life. We, we don't, not pantheism, we, we, we will still be us, you know, but we're, we're returning, you know, we're coming closer to God, we're coming back. The whole trajectory of salvation is we approach God. The whole story of sin is going the opposite direction as we sort of got out of orbit. So the whole thing, he says, the whole trajectory is we move towards the Father, you know, that God may be all in all. So this is also Christ's path. Remember, Christ comes from the Father, as it says in John's Gospel, and then he returns to the Father. He comes from the Father, returns to the Father. That's our path as well. We receive our life from the Father, and thanks to Jesus, we bring that life now to God to live with him forever. You know, from the Father to the Father is the path. Now, speaking of paths, how do we get there? That's our goal. That's our telos, our goal, you know, our destination. But what, uh, to, to have a destination, you have to wait to get there, right? We, if we're going to get to me meaningful, destination has to wait to get there. How do we get to the Father? If that's where we're supposed to go, how do we get there? And the answer says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, when we talk about the Son, our relationship to Him is He is our path, the way. He is our path to the Father. There is no other way. That is the only way to approach the Father is through that path. But more than that, with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens and empowers us in our walk. He opens the path. Jesus goes on to say, after He says, no one, you know, I'm the way and the truth, the light, no one comes to the Father except through Me. He says, and no one comes to Me unless the Father draws Him Hear that again, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So how does the Father draw? That's the Holy Spirit. So he's basically saying, yeah, you can't come to me. You need the path to get there, but you can't take that path until the Holy Spirit brings you there, right? The Holy Spirit, you know, is the one who brings us to the Son, who leads us to the Father. And he's the one who empowers us. Think of this. Otherwise, if God is our goal, let's say you know know your destination. Here's where you want to go. You want to go to London. And you know that here's the flight you have to take to get there. Is there a problem? What more do we have to do? I'd say we're all set. We know we need to get to London, let's say, by Friday. We know the flight to take. What's missing? A ticket. All that information without a practical way, without the empowerment to do it, is meaningless. So how can we actually do that? How can we actually be empowered to follow that path? And that empowerment is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all I've said to you. He will guide you into all truth. This is really important because of the Holy Spirit, a lot of people read the Bible it doesn't do them any good. There are a lot of people who hey, read the Bible. Until the Holy Spirit speaks in the Scripture, it's just an old book. It's when the Holy Spirit, when the living God speaks to us from that, suddenly things change. So remember, this is a, a point of theology. Do you realize every conversion is a miracle? Literally, I mean, everyone's saving faith is always a miracle of God. Only the Holy Spirit can give saving faith. We can get things ready in a sense. We can prepare the path, but it always takes nothing less than the Spirit of God to speak to the heart and say, this is true. He really did rise from the dead. This is true. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now. They, uh, he gives us the power to follow, it because we don't have the power. It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's in Ezekiel. So, again, the trouble is we, we can't even walk. It. Knowing the way is no help if we don't have a way to actually follow it. Only the spirit makes it possible for us to follow that way. And that's where we have one of Calvin's favorite verses, Philippians 2.13. It's God who's working in you, both to will and to work. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, put it this way. Another way of looking at why is this important, look at the order. God reaches out. The Father gives us the Son and sends the Holy Spirit. That's how God reaches out to us. And how do we go back to God? The Holy Spirit convicts us of Jesus. You know, He convicts our heart and brings us to Jesus. This is the one. This is the one who takes away the sins of the world. We follow that path, and we come to the Father. So just as the God reaches out, Father reaches through the Son, in the Holy Spirit to us, it's through the Holy Spirit we come to Jesus and go to the Father. It's the path back. Now, what practical application can that have? you ask? A very practical application. You know, our tendency, like in ministry, uh, one of the things I do is I help train uh, people who are going to be ordained. One of the first things I tell them is, remember, the key thing in ministry, if there's, almost more than anything, is people don't need us, they need God. Never forget that. And nothing less than God himself is going to bring salvation. We can bring people, never get in the way. You know, make sure that, you know, it's only… You can, you want to, you can pay the way. No one's ever been argued into saving faith. There's a value in giving people the reasons we have for our faith. But we have to realize at the end of the day, it will always be the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. And this is important. This is not a reason to be discouraged. It's exactly the opposite. Because we're so aware of our limitations. You know, saying, boy, I wish I could make a better hour. I wish I could. We don't have to worry. The Spirit somehow, despite us, will get the message through. And one way not to be discouraged, by the way, is have you ever had this? You share your faith and you're discouraged because nothing happens. You know, people don't accept Jesus. That's no reason to be discouraged. Why? One of my favorite, I love these parables that are easy to miss. It's only in Mark's Gospel, the first Gospel. A paraphrase that basically says this You know, you put a seed in the ground and it looks like nothing's happening. But then, later on, suddenly the things come up. It's always been going on, you just didn't see it. That's how God's Word works. When we sow, that's why we should never expect immediate results, is it, sometimes they are, but it's God gives the growth. So just realize, there's, just because we don't see it doesn't mean there won't be growth. You know, it's God gives the growth, and it often comes later. You know, we just, we just don't know. Now, how does our faith in God the Father Uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit affect our lives. It guards us from three great spiritual dangers that can really throw our spiritual life off, can destroy our spiritual life. You see, the tendency is you don't get to choose. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't say, well, that's nice. I've got a major, Jesus is the one I'm going with. Or no, no, I do Holy Spirit. You can't choose one. There's only one God. And if we focus on one to the exclusion of the others, we normally get into trouble. So let's explain what that trouble is. What about saying, a lot of people say this, you Christians, you keep focusing on Jesus, it's so disruptive, it's so dis- dis- disuniting. Why can't we just focus on God the Father? We can all agree on that. And here's why we can't. Remember we say the God the Father is a destination. If there's no way to get to a destination ever, it becomes sort of irrelevant. You know, know about it, it's sort of irrelevant. And so, what we actually tend to do is we kick God upstairs. Look, I was a business guy, and this, this happens all the time. What do you do with somebody who's unfireable, and, you know, but they're in the way is basically you kick them upstairs. You give them a promotion, <laughs> and you just let them stay in their office and do whatever they do. Okay. And so, what we do is simply say, God, if, we, there's, no re, if there's no direct connection between God and our… That's a deism. Then God is… is he's not a person. He's a fact. He's like gravity. He's no longer a God who changed our life. He's just a fact you live with, like any other fact. He's just gravity, He's just, he, the force, as opposed to the living, personal God who cares about me and has sent His son for me. So that's the danger. If we focus just on the Father, often it seems to honor God, but actually it's a way of getting him out of our hair. We put him up in heaven where he belongs so we can do our thing. So it becomes all about us. And actually what happens is uh, God becomes basically spiritual background noise or elevator music. We're running regular lives, but we sort of have them back this God theme. Oh, yeah, I guess there's a God out there. No. So again, if we just focus on the Father, that's a tendency. It doesn't have to happen, but it's a real tendency if we do it exclusively without the Son and the Holy Spirit. What if we focus on the Son alone? What's the danger in that? Well, Philip said, remember the night of the the Last Supper, he said, Lord, just show us the Father it will be great. And Jesus said, well, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is saying He's the window. His humanity is the window into the divinity. You know, in Him we see the Father. So, the key purpose of Jesus is to bring us beyond just His human, to all the way, you know, into the full life of the Trinity. It's meant to be a window. We turn it into a mirror. Here's what I mean about if we focus on Jesus alone to the exclusion of Father and Son. And notice that He's constantly talking about His love of the Father and these kind of things, Okay, what happens if we do that? Have you ever seen, I've t- mentioned this before in a different context, have you ever seen somebody looking like in a shop window like downtown at the, Mar- uh, it's not Marshall Fields anymore, I'm sorry, what is it now? Macy's. Okay. Just testing you. Okay. Are you Are looking at, at Christmas? You're looking at the Macy's windows and things, and they're nice. And you see somebody who's really wrapped in one of these, I mean, they're really looking, you say, that must be great. I can't see what they're looking at. So you sort of sneak, as you're going past, you want to take a look in, and you realize, wait a second, they're just looking at the reflection in the window, like they're changing your tie or something. They're not seeing at all. They're just they're using the glass to reflect themselves rather than to see through to something else. That's what happens when we only look at the humanity of Jesus to the exclusion of the divinity. Suddenly, Jesus simply becomes just, he becomes another teacher. You know, he's just a reflection of humanity. He's a, another great teacher out there. Uh, he becomes our mentor or our leader rather than our Lord. You know, we drew some to that. And once again, it becomes everything becomes very, very human. It becomes all about us. And finally, what's the harm in focusing on the Holy Spirit alone? Well, the first thing is the Holy Spirit's gifts. Very often people this because the the beautiful gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to everyone. Everyone has a gift of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us, at least one gift of the Holy Spirit for the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for others. We've We've taught on that. Remember, they're not for us. The gifts we have are for others, and the gifts we need, they have. That's how it works. If we focus on the Holy Spirit alone, very often what happens is we start getting really. The gifts are meant to point us to God. We look at say, wow, this is great. Like on Father's Day, you dads are going to get gifts. The idea is the real thing that moves you. Uh, I just we had our celebration last night for Father's Day because all well, the well, Sunday not a good day to do that kind of stuff for us. And you know, I got gifts, and it was, what really moved me was my son's giving me. It was the fact that it came from my sons with love. I could have bought, you know, that's not the point. The point, we miss the point. If we start focusing on the gift and not the giver, we miss the entire point. And the trouble is this is when people really get into the gifts. It's all about me. It's about how this affects me. It's not about sharing. It's not about God. It becomes about me. It's the gift, not the giver. That's an easy thing to have happen to us. And what happens then is Paul says we end up the gifts that are meant to bring us together, separate us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we begin getting puffed up rather than building up. You know, we look upon this as a spiritual uh, race or something story of Corinth. Again, it becomes all about us rather than about God. Let me conclude with a final thought on the Trinity. You know, we know, we said God is one. There's only one God. And within that oneness of God, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son is not the Father, is not the Holy Spirit, yet they're one God. So what happens when it says, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Sometimes we talk about the Father abides in me, I abide in the Father. What does that mean, that indwelling? And here's what they explained. I love this. The church fathers came up with a Greek term I'll explain to you called perichoresis. The reason I'm going to bother wasting that term is it's really neat when you know what it means. Everyone knows peri means. If you don't think you know, you do. Think of a, what's a periscope on a submarine. Yeah, we have a real submariner here. Okay. The thing about, a, about a, a, a periscope is you can turn it all the way around. Peri means going around. So, you know, it means around. Okay. And then when we have, uh, we said choresis, There's a very similar word you might recognize from English. What's a choreographer? It's somebody who really works out the steps of a dance, right, as a choreographer. And say they're basically the word perichoresis in Greek means rotation, but the idea is the image you get is imagine people dancing in a circle. You know, a small circle of people dancing. Well, if you say, okay, which spot is he in, as it keeps going, well, he's in all the spots. Right? Because if you keep going around, you're in all the spots, even though you're not, you're still separate, but somehow the very process of way of the analogy, you're in all the spots. Okay. Jesus also tells us, he says it's like this. He said, as the Father dwells in me, I dwell in you. You, you know, and so basically I dwell in you, and if you dwell in me, and I dwell in the Father, it's basically that's how God brings us into that circle of God's life. And here's a good example. Think of Easter Sunday when we have this wonderful, the dance going around here. And often what happens is as they're going around, uh, somebody wants to join in. A you know, little kid comes up, and somebody extends their hand and brings them into the circle. I love when that happens. I'll close it up again. Basically, what we're saying, that's what God does with us. He invites us. You know, in the Holy Spirit through Jesus, He invites us. He puts out, reaches out His hands to us, invites us into that life of God, into the very life of God. That's our, our great hope. So, so that's uh, and matter of fact, we're invited into, into the life of the Trinity uh, this, um, uh, this very morning in Word and Sacrament. Every time we come to liturgy, we have God is, extends His hand by speaking to us in His Word. God extends His hand to us by allowing us to participate in His very, you know, in His body and Blooded Eucharist. So, God extends His hand and says, come on into the dance, basically, come on into the circle. And so let us then embrace that hand. Let's pray for the grace to embrace the hand extended to us, worshiping the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast.